My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. From all of us at the Beacon of Hope broadcast, we'd like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas season and a Happy New Year. Last Sunday, our pastor broke away from a series on the methods of Christ for a special Christmas message. However, the week before that, Pastor Jones began examining a conversation Jesus Christ had with one of the major religious leaders of his day, a rabbi named Nicodemus. During the first part of that discussion, Jesus very clearly stated that Nicodemus, as sincere and morally upright as he would have looked to us, needed to be born again or he would never see the kingdom of God. Further, Jesus emphatically declared that everyone must be born again to enter heaven when he professed, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today, Pastor Jones continues to examine this conversation. As he does so, he will come across what is arguably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Maybe you know this verse, but don't fully comprehend how the truth of Jesus' timeless statement applies to your life. I hope you'll stick around and listen as Jesus himself explains why you need to be born again to have eternal life. All right, let's turn in our Bibles, if you would please, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 9. Last week we began to study uh, Jesus' conversation with a powerful and sincere religious man by the name of Nicodemus. There were a lot of powerful people in the, in the nation of Israel that were not sincere. And I guess that's true a lot of times in a lot of countries down through history that often those that get into power are not uh, the most godly. But uh, Nicodemus would be one of the exceptions to the rule. He's in um, the Sanhedrin, the top 70 of the religious leaders in the, in the nation. And he does seem to have a very sincere heart. Uh, and do you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in verses 1 to 8? What was the main thing we got out of yesterday, of last week? What was the main thing? You have to be born again. Doesn't matter who you are, including the nice guy, sincere guy like Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And so uh, we remember, I, I told you there's four parts that I divided this conversation into. The first one is that Jesus says that you need to be born again, because he didn't just leave it with Nicodemus. He says, except a man. So he doesn't just say not just Nicodemus, he's talking about any of us. And that word man is not really just uh, for, for males only. It's the idea, except a person is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, and then uh, this, this week, now we're going to do these last three sections, that Jesus reacts to the unbelief of the religious leaders. And he's going to deal with not just Nicodemus' unbelief, but the unbelief of the, of the Pharisees themselves uh, that he represents. Um, we'll also notice that Jesus is going to illustrate and command salvation by faith in him. So how does one get born again? He's going to answer that question, and he's going to use an illustration to do it. And then he's going to highlight the two paths of eternal life and eternal death. That you're going to be on one path or the other. It's, 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 it's very simple. It's not something um, that's uh, difficult to understand. I, I, as a child, understood about salvation. And I know that many of you uh, very possibly that had that same experience. Um, so uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and um, have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy of being able to uh, study your word together. And I pray you'd open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Uh, Lord, this, this, this message could literally make the, an eternal difference in someone's heart. And so we look to thee, not ourselves, as the uh, one to enable the uh, soul to understand 
and apply your word. And Lord, we, we know that even those of us who've been born again, and maybe many of us for, for several years, Lord, we need to hear this again. We need to be challenged on the reality of, of our faith and of sharing it with people around us, all around us who need thee. And so I pray that you'll bless our time together and accomplish what you want in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's notice, first of all, Jesus' reaction to his unbelief. I'm going to start then at verse 1 and just keep going, okay? It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Let's stop there for just a moment. Now you'll notice that Jesus is reacting to Nicodemus' statement because Nicodemus is just surprised. You're really telling me I have to be born again. I can't it's hard to imagine. And that everybody on the whole planet needs to be born again in order to go to heaven? Uh, why would that be so shocking to this man? And again, he's a, just think of who he is. Why would this be so shocking to him? Yeah, he's not getting the spiritual picture. It's, it's hard for him to, to grasp. Good, keep going. Yeah, gaming. Yeah, yeah, the, the tendency, and this is what Jesus is going to hit on here in, just, in verse 10, but the tendency is to think, I'm born as a child of God, as a Jewish person. I'm circumcised. That gets me in the door. I just got to be good from there on out. And if what Jesus is saying is true, that everyone needs to be born again, what does that say about all of Nicodemus' friends? It's not just him. You know what I'm saying? This is a shock. By the way, how do you think this guy has lived his whole life? If he's a, 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 a great teacher of the Bible, how do you think he's lived? I think he's been very strict. He's a Pharisee. That, that means that, that they are the, they're like Hasidic Jews. You know what I'm saying? If you, those of you that have met them, they're very, very strict. And they're, they're, they're trying to observe the law. And I know there's, there's always people that you can look at and say, well, that person was, was a Hasidic Jew and they didn't, they didn't keep the law. I, none of us keep the law, by the way, completely. But I would say that, yeah, there's hypocrites out there, but there's also the ones that are really trying. 
They're really trying to keep the law. They're trying to do all that they're supposed to do. Can you think of a New Testament example of a guy that really thought he was keeping the law to get to heaven? Paul. Yeah, before his conversion as Saul of Tarsus, he, he said, when it came to the law, I was blameless. And he's not saying I did it all. He's saying that as far as what my fellow man would have thought, and maybe even what he was thinking, I thought I was okay. I thought I was good enough. Why would I need to be born again? And this, so this is completely shocking to Nicodemus that you would say, I have to, I have to humble myself like a common publican and be born again. And what about all my friends, all of these other rabbis? Now notice uh, Jesus' answer is really, it's, he rebukes not only Nicodemus, but he's rebuking his colleagues as well. And, and it would help you. I'm going to uh, give you just a little detail that would help you. In verse um, uh, 10, he says, Jesus says, Art thou a master of Israel? Now, you see the word a there? Actually, the, it's betterly translated in the original language, the master. You are the, and you know what the word master means now? It doesn't mean like you're, you're, you're a god. It means you're a teacher. He is saying you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't know this. And it's almost what they'd call a backhanded compliment. You know what I'm saying? That, that Jesus is saying, you are, you are the best teacher Israel's got, and you don't know that you need to be born again. Now, what does that tell you about what's going on in all of those synagogues across the whole country? They were false teaching. They were teaching that people basically got to heaven by being good. In our Christian circles, there are many, many Christian denominations that basically teach that as long as you got baptized as a kid, you know, often as a baby, you know how they take them and they get them christened or baptized. You're brought into the church, and as long as you're good from there, you're, you're good to go. And that's the same error that was being taught in Jewish circles, only it was circumcision, not baptism. It's the same stuff. The same lie. And Jesus is saying, you're not born again that way. Now, I want you to notice this rebuke. First of all, um, well, let me back up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going, getting ahead of myself. Um, he says, Nicodemus, you're in error. You don't know this. And you should know this. Where should Nicodemus have gotten this? He doesn't have the New Testament. You can't say, well, didn't you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Or don't you know? You can't do that. It hasn't been written yet. Did the Old Testament teach that a person needed a spiritual conversion. It did. Okay, let me give you a couple spots. I'm not going to use Ezekiel today, surely, but not a bad thought. There, there is some in Ezekiel. You are correct. But let me, let me go to Isaiah 44. If you want to follow me in your scriptures. Back in the Old Testament, it's not, it's not to the, it's, it's not, if you go halfway in your Bible and you're in Psalms, you went too far, okay? You're, it's, it's, it's back toward the New Testament from there, but, um, Isaiah 44, and I'll start at verse 1, okay? And I'm going to read down to verse 5. By the way, if you, if you looked with an honest eye at the Old Testament, simply the Ten Commandments, do you, any, do, you, do you know anybody that keeps them completely? How about the first one? 
What's the first one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How are you doing on that one? That means you don't love anything more than you love God. You don't you love your wife more than you love God. You don't love your children more than you love God. You don't love your job more than you love God. And that's not just supposed to be the way it is part of your life. That's your entire life. If you're going to get to heaven without any sin, you can't break that once. So you never choose yourself over God. You never choose your wife over God. You never choose your kids over God. You never choose your job over God. If they had only looked at the law, what people should understand is, I'm not keeping it. And it's not like a 75% grade. You know what I mean? It's not like I can say, oh, well, you know, Tim, he got a 67. Now he's going to fail. He's below the line. I got a 75. I'm okay. I'm a D. I'm in. It's not like that. God's not letting any sin into heaven. He said in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. All right, Isaiah 44. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. You see the spiritual birth and you see the water cleansing there? No, don't make it into physical. He's talking about you're being cleansed from your sin. You're being born by the spirit on thy seed and thy blessing upon thy offspring. And they shall spring up uh, among the grass as well as by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. And the point here is that there is what's going on is a cleansing from sin, a, a, the, the birth of the Spirit of God. God's saying, I'm pouring my Spirit upon him. It's what Jesus was talking about, conversion. Being cleansed of your sin and the Spirit coming in. Spirit be doing the work of salvation. Let me show you another spot. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. And I will tell you that, that I'm confident that um, this master teacher of Israel, he doesn't have the New Testament to study. He's only got the Old. It's not been written yet. And he would have been well acquainted with passages like these. Would not have been a mystery to him at all. Jeremiah 31. You want to pick up at verse 27. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. What's, what Jeremiah is talking about is he's living in the day when they're going to be carted off into slavery. And he's going to live to see that. And he's saying, there's a day coming when the nation's coming back. Verse 28. It shall come to pass that, like as I watched over them, to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days, they shall no more. they shall say no more, the father's have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. That was a proverb that basically was excusing God's judgment, saying we're reaping the, the sins of our forefathers. God's saying, no, you're not. You're reaping your own sin. Okay, that was the, that was the all right, verse 30. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. 
And every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. And the problem is, if you die for your own iniquity, how many of us are going to die? Because iniquity is for sin. All of us. So you come to verse 31. Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them up by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which by covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. God is saying, I'm going to give them a different heart. That's a conversion. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and this is, by the way, uh, I gave you just two, but for time's sake. But Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, why didn't you get this? Nicodemus, why don't you understand that you've got to have a heart change? That you're not good enough. That you need to be born again. Why didn't you get it? Here you are, the teacher of Israel, the best they've got, and you don't know it. But he not only um, uh, condemned uh, or rebuked Nicodemus, but he rebuked his colleagues. Remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and his words were, We know that you're a teacher come from God. So he was speaking with some knowledge of some of his colleagues that were at least honest enough to say, yeah, yeah, he's, he's got the marks of, of someone from God here. Whether or not he's the Messiah, we may not know, but he's from God. We know this, Nicodemus had said. Now, when you get to verse, the last part of verse 11, so let me read you verse 11. Verily, verily, I'm back in John 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. The word ye there is plural. He's not just talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus and his colleagues. And he's saying, I am telling you what I know. I, as, the, as the Son of God, I'm telling you what I know. And you, you Pharisees, you religious leaders are not listening to my witness. When I tell you that you need to be born again, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm telling you the truth. And you as a group are not listening. Verse 12, if I have told you, plural again, earthly things, and ye believe not, plural again, how shall ye believe, plural again, if I tell you of heavenly things? So all the way through verse 12, all of the, and by the way, the last you is, is I believe, also plural. I didn't circle it my Bible. I, I'm confident it is. All of those are plurals. So he's saying, Nicodemus, it's not just you, it's your colleagues as well. You've all rejected the truth that I've tried to share with you. And that is, you need to be born again. So, by the way, who had shared this truth? That they needed conversion before Jesus. Who was the forerunner? John the Baptist. And do you remember when, when religious leaders came to his baptism? That's why he said, you're a bunch of snakes. You remember? And who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to repent. You need to have a conversion before the Messiah comes. Now Messiah is on the scene, and he's saying, I'm telling you what I know, and you're not listening to me. Now Jesus is going to claim here ultimate authority. 
And can I tell you that, that there will be many in our, in our and it's, not, it's, it's really not unique to our generation, but I think we have more opportunity because of the, um, the, the, the internet and, and things of, of uh, access to information that you can listen to all kinds of people, religious leaders of all kinds of different faiths. And if you want to, you can be like, you know, going to the salad bar and listening to this person and that person and this person. And you can drive yourself quite, quite batty if you want to. What Jesus is claiming is I am the Son of God. Come to this earth and you need to listen to what I tell you, no matter what anybody else says. That's what he's doing. Okay, look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. By the way, this to me also says that people were not going to heaven as believers at this point. Jesus, remember, he's talking to the thief. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's not heaven. Um, I, I won't go into that. But let me ask you a question. As Jesus speaks this, who has ascended into heaven? Nobody. Except the one that came down from heaven, and that is Jesus. He is saying, I am unique, Nicodemus. And by the way, he's not bragging. He's telling him the truth. I'm the son of God. You need to believe me. Whatever anybody else is saying. Can I just take you to John chapter 10, show you something very similar to this? John chapter 10. I didn't have this in my notes, but this will be free. Look at verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is talking about him being the shepherd of the sheep. That he is the good shepherd. Okay? Go down to verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Let me ask you, can anybody else say that kind of thing? Nobody can. I am the door. Nobody comes to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Either Jesus was right or he was crazy. You can't have it either any other way. And so he tells it. Doesn't matter what the rabbis are telling you. Doesn't matter what the Sanhedrin is saying. Doesn't matter what the high priest is saying. Although Nicodemus had enough knowledge, I don't think he respected the high priest's theology. High priest would not have been um, even close to being a believer. But Jesus is claiming to have authority over all of that. And Nicodemus now has to decide whether that claim is true or not. And if it is, then Jesus' teachings have total authority over anything any other person has said. So now we've seen Jesus react to the unbelief of not only Nicodemus, but his colleagues. Let's notice how he illustrates then. What is salvation? What does this mean to be born again? You're in verse 14, John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now let's just stop there for a second. 
What's he talking about? About Moses being lifted up by the serpent in the wilderness. Lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. Now you're right. Let's go back to it, okay? Let's go back to it. It's in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers is way back in the front of your Bible. It's the fourth book of the Bible, okay? So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuter uh, Leviticus, and then Numbers, sorry. Numbers and chapter 21. And you pick up about verse 4. Okay? Now Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They were down there 430 years. And they've been now delivered. They're on their way to the promised land. They've seen the ten plagues. They've seen the crossing of the Red Sea. God has been giving them manna every day for some time. Can you imagine bread falling from heaven in these little, little, little pieces of food that they would gather? Can you imagine seeing the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire? It was kind of interesting because this was being discussed at the men's retreat, all these different ways that God was was showing his presence to these people. Let me ask a question. What, where were they headed? The promised land. This was a land that God had promised their forefather Abraham about 500 years earlier. And they're headed there to get their own land and their own nation. It is a similar, it's a parallel, it's not an exact, but it's a parallel so you and I as Christians, we're headed toward a better than a promised land. We're headed toward heaven. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Start with me, if you would, please, at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. What's going on is you find the people begin to become grumbling and ungrateful. Verse 5, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Now think about this. What had God done for them? Everything. Yeah. Got them out of slavery. Rescued them at the side of the Red Sea. Fed them every day. Led them exactly where they needed to go with a pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, watched over them when the enemies attacked them. I mean, God had been so good. What had Moses done for him? Man, Moses had been the leader. He'd, he'd, get, uh, he'd, he'd uh, stood up for them. He'd prayed for them when God was ready to destroy them at times. I mean, Moses had been loyal to these people, had, had been the guy that God used humanly to lead them out of Egypt. And now they're complaining. You know what? It's interesting, folks. I, I bring this up because of this. You're headed to a better spot than the promised land. And we look at the Israelites and we say, how ungrateful were they that they felt like they had to have the, all the comforts that they wanted on the trip. And yet, how frustrated we, do we get at God because he doesn't give us everything we want on our trip to heaven? The trip to the promised land isn't all, supposed to be all peaches and cream. And yet we get angry at God. Why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let that happen? Notice that their complaint, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They hadn't, they hadn't come close to dying. God had been so good to them. Oh, they got hungry some, they got thirsty some, but God had always provided. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathe this, this light bread. Now that word light there is the idea. We despise this, I forget what it was like, disgusting bread. or They're, they're, actually, they're actually demeaning. God's provision for them. 
So they're ungrateful for the promised land that they're headed to. They're ungrateful for the God-ordained path that they're on. They're, uh, they're ungrateful for their leaders, God himself and Moses. They're ungrateful for God's provision. They, they say it's worthless food. That light bread is the idea. It's worthless food. We don't even care about it. Man, if you were the Lord, what would you do? Well, God stepped in. Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, that's poisonous snakes, among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. All of a sudden, oh, we're sorry. We've spoken against the Lord, that's right, and against thee, and that was right too. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us, and Moses prayed for the people. So, okay, that makes sense. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Make a poisonous serpent and put it on a pole. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Now let me ask you a question. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like an idol. Now it's not. Because God told Moses to do this. Now by the way, they made it into an idol. They actually were worshiping it. Wow, Hezekiah's day. We're talking... Oh man, hundreds of years later, they still hung on to this thing. That was a mistake for them to do that. Hezekiah destroyed it. But when God, what is God doing here? I'm sorry? He is giving an example of the future, Mike. That's exactly right. Lori. Yeah, they, they, they had to repent in verse 7. They did do that, right? They, had, they forced, okay, so now they're repentant. But now what's he doing? Go ahead. Yeah, he is sort of a picture across. And Lord, what were you saying? They need the Lord to survive, right? It's not, they're not placing their faith in a serpent. They're not placing their faith in a pole uh, it, 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 a brazen serpent, but what they're doing is they have to follow God's directions by faith. Verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now I want you to put yourself in that situation for just a moment. And let's say that, that um, you're a teenager... And your dad had been complaining against Moses and against God. And he was up in the, in the crowd there shaking his fist and, and yelling and all of that. And so God in his judgment lets him get bit by a serpent. And very quickly you're noticing his health begin to deteriorate. He's getting to the place where, where you can see that he's in danger. That he could possibly die. Maybe... Um, and now you've heard, it's coming through the camp, that Moses has set up this, this serpent on a pole in the middle of the camp. And all anybody has to do is just look at that thing and you can live. What are you going to do? It's your dad that's dying right there. What are you going to do? What's that? You're going to get him there. You're, you're going to prop his head up. Look, it's in a spot where everybody can see it. 
to the middle of camp, you're going to prop his head up, you're going to say, Dad, just look that direction. Maybe his mind isn't clear. Maybe he's not thinking very well. Maybe his eyes are blurry. But you're just saying, Dad, look, if you will look that direction, look that direction at the serpent, God says you'll live. You think you'd do everything you could to talk him into it? Now, let me ask you this question. Is it the sincerity with which the guy looks at the pole at that point? you think anybody looked at it and was kind of doubtful if it would work or not? Huh? I think so. Do you think anybody's eyes were blurry and they didn't see it very well? But the simple act of faith, of being willing to say, okay, all right, kids, I'll look at this serpent. That was enough. It was faith in what God had commanded his people to do. And it was faith in what the God of Israel had said. If you will look on this, you will live. It's faith that God had such power that he could save a dying man through a simple act of obedience by faith. And so what is Jesus teaching by this? So we've seen then the illustration in verse 14. Now what does he mean... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In what way was Jesus going to be lifted up? On the cross. Now, Nicodemus probably didn't understand all that yet, but I wonder, because guess what Nicodemus uh, does? He helps bury the Lord after his crucifixion. And I just wonder, if it didn't make sense before, if when Nicodemus saw Christ on the cross, if it didn't make all kinds of sense then. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. For what purpose? Well, let's notice the teaching. Verse 15, back in John chapter 3, that whosoever believeth in him. In Moses' day, you had to believe what God had said through his prophet Moses. Now you have to believe in God the Son and what he is saying. And you're believing in the fact that Jesus is God. So what you, it's kind of interesting here. You have is the fact that the judgment of sin is universal. That's what Jesus had been teaching. That no man can get into heaven without salvation. The teaching is also that the offer of salvation is also universal. It's not that everybody's going to receive it, but anybody can. Notice the words here, verse 15. That What's the next word? Whosoever. That's anybody. Believeth in him, should not perish. You don't have to go to hell, because that's the only other alternative, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want to just merely give you deliverance from hell. He wants to give you eternal life. Your responsibility is to believe in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, who he is, and the fact that he died on the cross for your sins. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, there it is again, the universal offer, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The offer, the, the judgment of sin is universal, but the offer of salvation is also universal. God would save you if you'd put your faith and trust in him. Have you done that? Have you done it? Have you given your heart to Christ? 
accepted him. So let's just talk about quickly the offer of salvation. You notice God's terms there in verse 15 and 16. That is, you have a responsibility, and that is, you have to believe who Jesus is and what he did for you. That he is the Son of God, and he died on the cross for you. And God's response is he says, you'll not perish, but you'll have eternal life. I want you to also think about God's actions. He, what did he do? Well, he, he sent, he hung Jesus on the cross, verse 14. Obviously, sinful man did it, but God allowed that to happen. It was in his plan. He exalted uh, God's son, in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him can have eternal life. He has given Jesus to humanity, in verse 16, and he sent him to save us. All those were God's actions. Then think about God's motives. Why did he do it? Well, he did it because he loved us. God so loved the world. He does not want to condemn you to hell. The problem is, he doesn't have to. You've already condemned yourself. You say, well, hold on. How do I know that? Because of your sin. Matter of fact, if you don't believe me, let's just go to the last part. And that is the highlights of the two paths. And we're going to ask two questions. First of all, what are the two paths? And then secondly, how do you know which pathway you're on? Well, look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what are the two paths? Well, there's the path of not being condemned, which is the path of salvation by faith in Christ. And then there's the second path, the path of condemnation, and you're on it until you accept Christ. He that believeth not is condemned already. You say, well, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. Okay, well, have you accepted him? Because, honestly, if you really believe the choice is heaven or hell, if you really believe that, that Jesus is serious about what he's saying, there's, there really isn't a choice. It just makes all kinds of sense to lay down your life and say, Lord, I, I need you. I need you as my Savior. Well, let's notice then, how, how do you know which path you're on? Well, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Okay, question. Verse 19. What is the, the, the light that's come into the world? That is Christ. Go back to John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. All right, if Jesus is come, all right, if he's the light, then the person that's on the wrong path is verse 20, 19 and 20. And that is lost people choose their sin over Jesus. Lights come into the world, and men love darkness. Darkness is your sin, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And notice again, verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. The idea is you will not turn to the light, you will not accept the light, because you love your sin too much. Then you're on the wrong road. But you notice saved people... They come to the light. They accept it. Verse 20. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. 
So let me ask you some questions as we wrap this up. Number one, um, how many people can get to heaven without being born again? Nobody. Not you, not me, none of us. Number two, can you trust religious leaders who teach you how to get to heaven? That's a loaded question, is it not? How do you divide that? How do you know if you trust them or not? They got to agree with Jesus and what is in God's word. That's simple. They got to be what Christ said. If they're saying that you can be born again without, uh, you can go to heaven without being born again, they're not. They're not right. Period. Jesus is the authority. Number three, what did the serpent on the pole represent? Faith and Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus on the cross. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Good. How about this one? Did the bronze serpent save anyone? No, it was not the serpent. It was the faith in what God had said. We put our faith in what Jesus said today. Five, what was God looking for uh, in the people to deliver them? Was he looking for how well the guy focused on the cross, on the, on the serpent on the pole? Was he looking for how sincere he was about looking? He was simply looking for an act of faith. That's all he was asking them to do. Just obey by faith. That's it. Just obey me by faith. Just do it. Number six. What is the difference between those on the road to heaven and those on the road to hell? May not be able to put the, Let me just put it out as I did. Those on the road to hell choose their sin over Jesus. And those on the road to heaven choose Jesus over their sin. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about as I close. Let's say that you saved up your pennies and you bought a pretty nice uh, fishing, little little fishing boat. Nothing, nothing fancy. Um, um, I don't know. You like to you like the rowboat or you like the small, whatever. You, but it's it's something something pretty small. And you got out on the um, Niagara River and you're out doing some fishing. There's some, I'm sure there's some great fish out there. Mike is shaking his head about being on the Niagara River, and some of you are as well because. Niagara River is extremely fast, and there's a spot out there. It may look nice, okay, but there's a spot out there, and they, they'll warn you of it. This is what they would call the point of no return. Like, you don't let your boat go beyond that. And you got some bad gas or whatever in your brand-new boat, and your engine's not starting, and you're, on, you're, you're creeping toward the point of no return. And, uh, and you can't get the thing started. And the river starts taking over. And it, the Niagara River becomes extremely violent the farther you get down the river. Now, as you're moving down and your boat is being um, just pulled along by the torrent. And you're getting nervous. There, thankfully, there are park rangers in that area. And they are on the lookout for such things. And so they see what's going on. And they begin to try to intervene. But the problem is you're moving so fast that, that by the time that they can organize that you're, you're, in a, you're in a bad spot. You're in a spot where they cannot get to you. So they're, they've devised some, some way of, of throwing you a line that um, would allow you to at least save yourself. Your boat's, gonna, your boat's going. It's going open. And, and, and they're yelling at you, you know, 
leave the boat and just grab onto this line and we'll pull you to shore. Now your choice is to either let, let take the line, take the emergency line, and let them pull you to shore or go over the falls with your boat. I think most of us, most of us hopefully would make the choice, grab the line. Can I say to you that really is an analogy of what happens in life, honestly? Because as we're going through life, it may seem as, as young people that oh, not, lot, not a lot's going on and, you know, I, I'm just waiting until I get older. And maybe one of these days I'll think about Christ, but boy, the current of life begins to take over. And sins and guilt begin to hope, heap up and confusion from all kinds of avenues comes in and Satan begins to work and the line and, and the stream begins to pull you down toward eternity and you don't even realize it at first, but it's, it gets faster, doesn't it not, folks, as we get older? And then becomes the big choice because now you can't hang on to everything you've been living for. You have this nice boat, you have a beautiful tackle box. You know, you have all these fishing things that you, that you bought. You put a lot of money into this thing. And yeah, they're telling me to throw a line over, but I'm going to have to leave all that behind. That's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's going over the falls. I'll tell you this, although the most ridiculous thing to, to do would be go down with the tackle box, you know what I'm saying? Go down with the rowboat. Go down with the... A lot of people do that when it comes to God. They're not willing. And it can be the stupidest thing. I'm not willing to turn over my pornography. I'm not willing to, to give up my my alcohol. I'm not willing to... Whatever it is, it's something that Satan has convinced them. It's This is worth your soul. And what Jesus is saying, you cannot get to heaven without being born again. And if you're choosing darkness over light, if you're choosing your sin over me, you're on the wrong road. Let go of that. Grab the lifeline. Salvation's available to whoever will believe and receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, help us. What you've said is very straightforward. There's no ambiguity about it. There's, there's, there's two roads. You've told Nicodemus, this very sincere religious man, you've told him, everyone needs to be born again. You've told him that, that uh, even though he was a, 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 the best Bible teacher Israel had, that he was dead wrong on how people get to heaven. That his whole group that he was with was wrong on this. And Lord Nicodemus had a choice, and we're not really sure how he chose that day. I do believe he made his choice, certainly if he hadn't before, at the cross. Lord, I would pray for any, and Nicodemus would have been certainly one of those guys that had a lot to give up. It wasn't a mere rowboat, it was, he had built his whole life. He's now a senator and a member of the Sanhedrin in Israel. 
He's probably got wealth. Many other things, that trappings that came with a good reputation. Probably a nice family. Nice place to live. And Jesus is saying, but Nicodemus, you're teaching the wrong thing. You got to throw all of that false doctrine. And it could have cost him any or all of those things. And maybe you did when he finally came around. Lord, I don't know what those who may be here and are battling with this decision may be hanging on to, but I would imagine it really is something small, much smaller than they realize. The Satan is magnifying in their hearts. Lord, may they not love darkness more than light. May they not run back in the dark. Help those who are struggling right now to come to the light. Say, I will accept Jesus as my Savior. I will live for Him. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, may we live up to that commitment. May we follow you whatever action you want us to take. Some may need to be baptized. Some may, may need to join the church and get moving. Some may need to witness to a neighbor or friend. Some may need to give up a bad habit. Lord, the reality is we've got, we've got things to do. You're the Savior. We, we must obey you. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed for just a moment. Just wondering, first of all, Christian, are you in surrender to the Lord? Have you given, have you given everything to Him? If, 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 if God is speaking to your heart about something that you need to surrender I'd encourage you, don't hinder what God's doing in our church family by just hanging on to something. I encourage you to deal with God right now. Maybe there's someone else here and you say, Pastor, the truth is, I, I just really, I'm not born again, or I, maybe I know I'm not, or I, I think I'm not, or I'm in that spot, and I want to make sure. If that's where you're at, I can just tell you, first of all, you don't need me. But you do need God. And you can talk to him right where you're at right now. You don't need anybody else at this point. You can talk to God right now. If you want him, you can ask God to forgive you and save you. And if you're sincere with him, he would hear you. I'd encourage you to do that right now. God's speaking to your heart about this. Lord, I know, I know I'm not worthy of heaven. I know I need to be born again. Lord, I want to just simply, I want to look to you. Simple faith, like they did with the serpent. I'm just going to look and ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. If you mean that, God will save you. I hope you'll come and tell me about that if you have done that. If you want some help, be glad to do that too. Please talk to me. Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word to our hearts. Lord, I, I'm, I'm speaking to people. They, they're, they're here. They're, they're regular. I pray. That doesn't mean they're saved. But they do know. They've been instructed. They know what to do. They know that they can accept you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. It'd be great for one. It'd be wonderful for many. May they take that step of faith 
And Lord, I pray, because it would be great encouragement to them and the people around them. They'll say something. They'll, they'll let us know what you've done. And for those of us who are Christians, oh Lord, help us. Help us to obey you by faith each day. For everyone around us needs to be born again if they haven't been. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you consider again Pastor Jones' illustration of the guy in a new boat being swept toward the edge of Niagara Falls? Maybe he spent hours constructing his own ship. Maybe his tackle box contains lures he was given by his late father or grandfather. Yet as meaningful as these items might be to him, would they be worth his life? Tragically, there are many who refuse to leave their sin behind so they can follow Christ and be saved. They want to cling to an ungodly habit and immoral relationship or just want the right to run their own lives. And though they are aware that their choice will likely cost them the eternal souls, they are determined to reject the lifeline, Jesus Christ. Further, many of you have others with you in your boat. That is, you have close friends or family members who seem to have decided to go down with the ship. Should that stop you from grabbing the lifeline? Must you perish because others that you love are determined to do so? Or have you considered that if you chose to leave your sin behind and become Christ's disciple, others might follow your example and be saved as well? I pray you'll leave whatever may be necessary to become Jesus' follower. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Let me invite you, if you don't currently attend a Bible preaching church, to consider visiting us at Calkins. If you like to make New Year's resolutions, why not decide to get back into a Bible preaching church every Sunday you possibly can in 2022? Here at Calkins, we have Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m., morning worship at 10 a.m., and a Sunday evening Bible study at 6.30 p.m. We provide a nursery for each of these services. On Wednesday evenings, you're also invited to attend our adult Bible and prayer study time starting at 6.30 p.m. If you have children from three years old and up, you can bring them along as well, and they can join our children's ministry called Kids for Truth, or our teen group. All activities are done by 8 p.m., so you can get the kids home in a decent hour for school. For those of you who are unable to physically attend, we also live stream our services on our Facebook page and archive messages both on Facebook and YouTube. In fact, if you'd like to watch our 10 a.m. service, it's just about to go live on our Facebook page. For other sermons in this current series on the methods of Christ, or if you'd like to access Pastor Jones' previous series on the messages that Jesus himself preached, check out our podcast at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. And everlasting life and light, he frees.